You're listening to Interviews with Adam. I am your host, Adam Miller. And today we're joined by Ray Pritchard, who here's a little bit, a tidbit of personal information, was one of my professors when I was a student at the Word of Life Bible Institute. He joins us today to talk about a booklet that he's written and really a subject that is close to many of our listeners' hearts. The booklet is called Praying for Your Prodigal. It's a great resource, especially as we think about in here in our study of the Gospel of Luke, what it truly means to have those who have broken our hearts and walked away from the faith and how to pray effectively for them, but also to grow through the process of what God is doing in our lives. Uh, Ray, thank you so much for being a part of the Many Voices for that one message and talking to us about a very uh, serious issue that uh, really impacts a lot of homes here in, in Christian America. Adam, I'm, I'm delighted to talk about this because the problem of the prodigal is a universal issue. The reason the parable of the prodigal son is so popular is not just because it's a beautiful short story, which it certainly is, but because the words of Jesus speak to an issue, though it is 2,000 years old, let's face it, Adam, it's contemporary. And I suppose there aren't many listeners to us today who do not know someone, usually most of us know more than one someone, who was a Christian, was in the church, and for whatever reason has drifted away. And we wonder, what can we do? What can we say? And how should we be praying for the prodigals we love so much? This is an issue. It resonates. Um, when we get here to the Gospel of Luke, Luke 15, it really does resonate with a lot of people because it, it may be that this is a problem that's 2,000 years old, but it seems even more now that it is an issue that affects just about everyone within Christianity. We all know somebody who once claimed to be a strong Christian that we were close to uh, that has fallen away. Why is this an issue that uh, seems to be that everyone can relate to? Well, let me put it simply in two words. Prodigals happen. Mm. And they happen in the best of homes. They happen in the best of churches. They happen in the best of families. And, and sometimes they happen after years of apparently sincere and devoted and faithful service to Christ. It's like asking, how is it that a pastor could fall? How is it that an elder could turn away? How is it that a deacon could walk away from his wife? How is it that Sunday school teachers could suddenly not only be in, not be in church, but how is it that they could walk away from everything? And what about our young people? We pray for them. They come up through Awana and they come up through these other children's programs and they go to these great Christian colleges and Bible institutes. And you know, Adam, it's, it, it happens despite our prayers and despite our best efforts, sometimes men and women, young and old, who apparently had a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, for whatever reason, they were in church, and now they're not in church. They have walked away. They have drifted away. Sometimes they have gone so far as to deny everything they once believed. So I don't know what else to say other than prodigals happen and they happen in the best of homes and the best of churches. And to deny that, I think, is to deny reality. 
This is an area that often affects uh, the families of the loved ones that leave the faith. And, uh, you know, I, I have friends and loved ones who are not walking with Christ, and you almost make it feel like, I did something wrong. I must have not done something right. I didn't pray enough. I didn't try hard enough. I wasn't, I, I was, you know, I let my temper fly there. And I, it becomes a time of self-evaluation that we can really beat ourselves up, can't we? Well, you know, we probably did do something wrong, right? I mean, <laughs> let's face it. We probably didn't say everything we could have said. We probably didn't pray as fervently as we should have. We probably did maybe lose our temper at one point and say something we shouldn't have said. But in the end, in the end, I can't take responsibility for someone else's decisions. Uh, at the end of the day, the prodigal is the one who ended up in the far country. And yeah, maybe maybe we could have done things differently in the past, but that almost doesn't even matter at this point. But when we see our loved ones far, far, far off from the Lord, the question I think is not how did they get there? That's interesting. We can debate it. We can discuss it. But that's not really the issue, is it? The issue is what do we do once we see them so far from the Lord? How can we lovingly, prayerfully, patiently work with them and for them and lift them up before the Lord so that someday they will come back to the Father's house in true repentance, having been truly changed. I mean, you, you read the story of the prodigal son. It, it's interesting to speculate on why he wanted his father, his share of the inheritance and why he went and said all that. But really, that's not the part of the story that ought to matter. The part of the story that ought to matter is, Lord, how can we how can we pray so that what happened in that story happens for our loved ones, that we may see them coming back to the Father's house? And that's why I wrote that little booklet, How to Pray for Your Prodigal, because sometimes prayer is the only weapon we have left. And you know what? That's okay. If all we can do is pray, that's like saying there's nothing to eat but food. There's nothing to drink but water. There's nothing to breathe but air. If we have prayer, we have the single most powerful weapon in the universe because prayer can change the heart of the prodigal when nothing else can. When we look at this story of the prodigal son, we see a uh, really um, amazing, beautifully well-told story that fits within the context of these three lost stories in Luke chapter 15. Um, and we can often really focus in on simply the prodigal and, and kind of miss the bigger picture of what has taken place here, where Jesus is telling the story of those who are lost and coming to faith versus those who have kind of grown up in the faith but really remained lost, uh, the, the other brother of this lost prodigal. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into what Jesus' intentions were in teaching this story in the greater context of the Gospel of Luke? As many people have pointed out, there are really two prodigals in the story. There's the one who left home, and there's the older brother who stayed home. And both of them, in their own way, by their own heart attitudes, had rebelled against their father. And, and the, the prodigal, which is the one, the prodigal who left home was the one we think about so much. He's just off spending his inheritance, and he ends up eating with the pigs. And yet there's the older brother who stays at home and, quote, does everything right on the outside, like so many religious people do, yet his heart is not right on the inside. And he, because of his anger and his jealousy and, and his, frankly, the fact that he's not really happy that his younger brother has come back, revealing the fact that 
he is as much lost. He is as much a prodigal on the inside as the brother who left home, though from the outside, he looks like a perfectly obedient and happy older brother. Jesus is telling us prodigals come in many different varieties, and you cannot judge simply by looking at the outside. You know, this is in the in the greater context of the Gospel of Luke. You see Jesus rejecting the Pharisees and welcoming tax collectors and a, a, a prostitute woman close to him and forgiving them of their sins. This contrast is often uh, seen here as well in the prodigal story where you have one who was lost but then is returns home and receives forgiveness and the one who stays who can't allow forgiveness even for in his into his heart, uh, this presents an issue for us, especially as we think about prodigals. That oftentimes we're worried about the one who is running away, and we're not concerned about the one who is still there, who is lost, uh, that is living the kind of moral um, kind of behavior that we accept. But we're really to be concerned at a greater level of their heart, aren't we? Well, if you go back to the parable and ask yourself a question, Adam. Who ends up better off, the older brother or that younger brother? And clearly in this story, the younger brother, who makes so many stupid mistakes and so many bad choices, he's the one who ends up better off because he's the one who comes to his senses, realizes what he's done, and and, and comes back into the father's house and into his father's embrace. He actually is repentant, and therefore he actually is welcomed so greatly. At the end of the story, you're left looking at that older brother and thinking about his anger and his pride and his unforgiveness. And when we read that, we ought not just think about him. We ought to think about ourselves. I got a, a note from a woman whose son was and is, at least at the time of the writing of the note, had been a prodigal, raised in a Christian family, but far, far, far gone. And the woman wrote me to say this. She said, I have experienced a depth of relationship with God that I didn't know before mothering a prodigal. And she said, God has walked this road of parenting with us, revealing his character to us, and growing us through these trials. And then listen to this next sentence, which is hard to say, but oh, how true. I thank God for our son. And she means our prodigal son, because he has been the iron that sharpens me. And I thought, wow, what a view of the sovereignty of God and of the providence of God. Here's a mother faithfully praying for her son, who, at least at the time of the writing, was far, far, far gone in sin. And she says, I thank God for him, not for his sin, not for his rebellion, but for the fact that during this time of waiting, God was using that experience to sharpen her, to deepen her, to to help her and her husband draw closer to the Lord. And, And I think about it this way. You know, if you get angry at the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter, in a way, you've become a prodigal yourself because your anger and your unforgiveness blocks the work of God in your life. So here's the bizarre thought, or at least least a frightening thought, that you could become a prodigal yourself because you are so angry. You're so angry at what they've done, and I understand that. You raised them, you prayed for them, and now they have rejected everything you taught them. And yet, 
If you do not deal with the anger and unforgiveness in your heart, two things are certain to happen. Number one, your anger and unforgiveness is going to drive the prodigal farther away from God. Number two, and more frightening in some ways, it's going to drive you away from God, even though you come to church, sing the songs, pray the prayers, and put your money in the offering plate. Now, I think often one reason our prodigals have not yet returned is because God has something he must do in our hearts first. Until we are free of prejudice, a judgmental spirit, and anger and bitterness, we should not expect our prayers to be answered. So there's a whole lot going on when we pray for our prodigal. Not just something going on in the heart of the prodigal, but something that needs to happen in our hearts as well. It seems that when you look at these two uh, characters, these two sons in the story of the prodigal, that uh, initially a lot of parents would say, I want the son that stays. I want my son to be the son that stays. Uh, But the son that repented, the son that was able to go through all that tragedy and repent, he's the one who truly understood the gospel. He's the one who understood grace. And that is hard for parents to want that kind of path for their children. Well, it's easy to to be sympathetic to a certain degree to the older brother, because after all, he did play by the rules, didn't he? He didn't ask for the inheritance early. He didn't leave home. He stayed so he could help his father uh, do his job. Uh, He didn't waste his money. He didn't end up eating with the pigs. And it's easy, at least on one level, to say, boy, I really, I am sympathetic with the older brother who played by the rules. But this life is not about playing by the rules. Our relationship with God, either it's by grace or it's not of grace at all. Maybe I should say it's all by grace or it's not of grace at all. And that's, I think, the part the older brother, at least at the end of the story, still has not come to understand. He understands the law. He hasn't figured out the gospel yet. And I think for, for us as Christians, church members, people who play by the rules, it's easy to fall into a law-based version of Christianity. Lord, if I do my part, you are obligated to give your grace to me. Oh, when will we learn God owes us nothing? What do you have that you have not received from God? Everything in life, life and breath and health, everything we have is a gift of God's grace. And oh, how good to come to the place where you can say, as the songwriter said, nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. It's one thing to say those words. It's another thing to let them be the rule of life because we've been overcome in a good way by the free grace of God. A lot of times when um, parents or even grandparents will come and ask me to pray for their prodigal with tears welling up in their eyes, um, you can just tell it breaks their hearts to see and know the life that their their children or their grandchildren are living that is unpleasing, it's sinful, it's blatantly rebellion against God. And one of the things that I, I, I always remind them is that God loves their children more than the parent or the grandparent loves their children. And he is working in them as well as he's working in us in a lot of ways, that remembering that God is at work, he knows what he's doing, and God loves that child more than and better than we could love that child is, is really an important principle to remember in this process, isn't it? We came to a moment like that with one of our three sons who had been struggling in his own walk with God. 
And I, my wife has often told the story, and I will simply pass it along. In, in the midst of all of that, when we were confused about how we should even pray for our son, uh, or what we should say, or what would make a difference, uh, my wife was one day in the kitchen thinking and talking to the Lord, and she felt as if the Lord said to her, not an audible voice, but I guess you'd call it an impression of the Holy Spirit, that the Lord impressed upon her heart, I'm a better parent than you are. You love him, and let me be his heavenly father. And from that moment, things begin to change. Oh, how freeing it is to say, he loves our prodigals more than we do. He knows where they are right now. He sees everything they do. He hears everything they say. He knows the hidden thoughts of the heart. God knows the full truth about the prodigals we love so much. And knowing the full truth, he loves them far more than we ever could. I think this is just important advice for us to pass along, especially if you're talking about a literal son or daughter. You're talking about a grandson or granddaughter who has drifted away. You do the loving. Let God do the parenting. He knows how to reach them in ways we can never do. So let's love our prodigals. Let's pray for them. And with an open hand, let's release them to the Lord, believing that God can do what we can never do. Praying seems uh, for us when we want to do so much. It seems like such a a weak response. We want to be there, and I, I've known parents that they want to be right by the pigsty, making food and serving their children who are are living in in sin. Um, why is prayer? Why is uh, letting go almost and just re- re- waiting in prayer so important than all of the other things that we could be doing? Well, number one. Those other things don't really work very well. When you have a prodigal in your life, um, the first response is unbelief. I mean, just how could this have happened? And then you begin to get very angry. And when you get angry, you overreact. You say things you shouldn't say. You utter threats. You may actually begin yelling at them. Because we all know, don't we, that if you just yell at people, they will turn around and, and fly right, so to speak. It just doesn't, life doesn't work that way. The human heart doesn't work that way. So we think either we will get mad, utter threats, or yell at them, or we'll come along in some kind of codependent fashion. And if we just are there, we just talk to them, eventually their hearts will change. Uh, And I like to say it this way. Either we believe what the Bible says or we don't. The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it whatever direction he pleases. What that must mean is this, that our prodigal sons and our prodigal daughters, who today are so far from the kingdom, seemingly, their hearts are held by Almighty God. He can move the heart this way or that way. If we really believe that, if we believe that in the midst of their sin and rebellion and anger and whatever they're doing out there in the far country, if we believe God holds their hearts in his hands right now. Then we can release them to the Lord. And then we can begin to pray. Uh, And I like to tell people, look, we have a weapon that uh, they can't stop. Because if our prodigals get angry at us, they they may yell and say, don't come around. 
They may refuse to take our phone calls. They may not answer our emails. They may not respond to our texts. We may come and bang on the door. And they won't even answer us. But you know what? There is one thing they cannot do. They cannot stop the prayers of godly people. They cannot stop our prayers. Prayer is the most powerful force in the whole universe. God has invited us to join with him in his work in the world. And when we pray, that's not an act of weakness. That's an act of strength, going to the God of this universe and saying, Lord, I have done everything I can do. I have said everything I know how to say. I have wept all the tears. I know how to weep. Now, dear God, go and do what only you can do. And I advise people to pray this prayer. And it's based on Ephesians 1.18. Oh, Lord, open the eyes of their heart so that light from heaven may come flooding in. It's a powerful prayer, number one, because it's based on Scripture. Number two, because it gets right down to the problem. Sometimes, especially, let's say, these days we have young people that get confused sexually and they get it off into all these kinds of sexual sins and terrible decisions and get themselves in trouble. And sometimes we, we mistake symptoms for underlying causes. The, the, if, our, if our loved ones, if they, if they make foolish decisions and walk away from marriage or they get off into some kind of sexual sin, we want to focus on that. That's just a symptom of the underlying cause. And what is that? That the eyes of the heart are closed. And when the eyes of the heart are closed, you can't see, you bump into things, you hit the walls, you drive into the ditch, you make the same dumb mistakes over and over and over again. So I say, let's pray this way. Oh God, open the eyes of their heart so that light from heaven may come flooding in. Pray that prayer and keep on praying it until the answer comes from heaven. How should um, these parents really structure their prayers in the context of, of their kids and really what is probably one of the most central concerns on their hearts, certainly the most burdening concern on their heart? How can they structure their par- prayers so that they're not solely focused on their child in such a way that almost elevates that to idolatry? Well, start with the Lord. Start with His goodness. I, I tell people, keep going back to what you know to be true. Keep going back to what the theologians call first principles, that there is a God, that God is sovereign, that God is love, that God is merciful, that God is compassionate, that God is just, that God is holy. And I mean, Adam, what I mean is just literally go through the attributes of God. Start your prayer, not with the problem, but with the ultimate solution. Remind yourself in prayer of who God is and stand on the promises of God. I think if you start with the problem, it's going to be hard to find your way back to God. But if you start with the truth about who God is, then you're in a great place to pray your way from who God is to the heartbreak of a prodigal son or daughter or anyone who has drifted away from the Lord. So start with God and go to the problem and not the other way around. And then your prayers will have great, great power because you started in the right place. 
Uh, this is an area where um, a lot of parents and a lot of grandparents are thinking specifically about the issues that their children and their grandchildren are facing. Uh, this isn't just about children, though. This is something that happens at many different levels. And uh, as you said, we're all in the, the realm of prodigals. What advice do you have for us to to recognize kind of the warning signs uh, in, in our loved ones that they're uh, becoming an antagonistic towards uh, biblical things, towards Christian faith values? You know, it's, it's a great question. And I, my answer goes back to Hebrews 2. I've used the word drift, and that's intentional, because Hebrews 2 talks about drifting away from the truth, which suggests something that does not happen overnight. It's something that begins in the heart. And I think I think people are prodigals on the inside long before they become prodigals on the outside. But you sense uh, an anger. You sense some despair. You sense um, uh, a, a growing, a growing. I don't want to say hostility. That's not really the right word. But a growing sense of alienation when you talk to them about the things of the Lord. When that begins to happen. I think what we have to do is invest the time, if we have the time, to talk to them. Oh, let's say that again. Invest the time, not just to talk to them, but to listen, to open our hearts and let them say what is on their mind. I've never known anybody who intentionally became a prodigal, but I've known lots and lots of good people. I've known a lot of good young people in good Christian colleges and Bible institutes who became disillusioned. Oftentimes, they were hurt by a Christian leader who disappointed them. Uh, I think if you get down to the cases of prodigal behavior, often it's it's what I just said, that either disappointed with God or disappointed with some of God's people. Maybe the expectations were put in the wrong place. When we begin to see that happening, it's important to step in, not with words of threats, not with... Uh, not with anger, but just to say, let's talk. And if they're willing to talk, let's listen and let's pray. Will that make a difference? It might. In some cases, you can save somebody from the prodigal's mistake just by caring enough to get involved and listening to them as they share their heart with you. doesn't work all the time, but it works sometimes, and at least we ought to try go in with an open heart and let people tell us what they're really thinking what they're really feeling. And if they know they won't be condemned, maybe they'll be honest with us and we can save them from the heartache of terrible, terrible decisions. And one other thing I think in recognizing uh, that so many uh, of our young people are, are turning their backs on Christianity, uh, we can focus in on all of the apologetics and all of the, the questions and the circumstances, whether where they went to school or what friends they formed. But really what we should be striving for is the demonstration and representation of the gospel, not simply emphasizing good works, church attendance, um, and uh, Bible memory, but really we should be in making sure that they understand and comprehend the gospel and trust in its power to transform and hold their lives, not simply the kind of moral Christian behaviors that we often elevate uh, and, and want to see from, from young people, correct? You know, just, just a few days ago, I was preaching on that great passage in Joshua 24, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and we all love that verse, but I 
I said, well, how is it Joshua could have said such a thing? Because I can't guarantee I myself will not drift away at some point, much less my wife, my kids, or my grandkids. How could Joshua have that kind of confidence? And certainly it's because he knew his family very well, certainly because he loved them and prayed for them. Uh, But when Matthew and Henry talked about that passage, he said, this is really a call to serious godliness, serious godliness, which I think touches something you mentioned, what you just said, that Joshua is saying, there has been such deep reality in the way I have lived. It has made it easy for my sons and my daughters and my grandkids and whoever else was in his family, easy for them to follow me in serving the Lord. And the thing I added when I preached on this is, I think our families today, in today's world, need serious godliness, but we also need a big dose of what I would call holy joy, the kind of joy that only the Lord could give, not the cheap amusements of the world, but also not the heavy legalism that sometimes has characterized some Christian families. It's a wonderful thing to be in a family where there is serious godliness and a real healthy infusion of holy joy. That's a combination. If we, if we can get to that, at least we have tipped the scales in favor of our kids and grandkids and friends and loved ones serving the Lord joyfully with us. And if we have families that are marked with serious godliness and holy joy, well, that's going to be a place the prodigal is going to be glad to come back to eventually because he's going to know when he comes through the door, people aren't going to be putting him down. They are going to, they're going to get, they're going to kill the fatty cat. They're going to get out the rope, the ring and the sandals. And they're going to say, welcome home. The one that was lost has now been found. Oh God, give us families with serious godliness and holy joy. That's what's really needed today. Great encouragement and great advice as we've been talking with Ray Pritchard, who is the author of this great pamphlet called uh, Praying for Your Prodigal. He's also uh, the founder of Keep Believing Ministries. You can find out more information about him uh, by giving us a call. And uh, really, you can even get a copy of this pamphlet. It's available online. So find out more information. It's 508-362-7070. Uh, Ray Pritchard, thank you so much for joining us, for talking to us about uh, prodigals and how to better pray for them, and also encouraging our listeners to press on for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of God. Thanks, Adam. It has been my pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this interview made possible by our ministry at Songtime Radio. You can find out more information about our ministry by visiting our website at songtime.com, where you can find this and other interviews on our podcast series, as well as our weekday broadcast, which includes teaching, interviews, and music. We also want to encourage you to sign up for our free monthly newsletter. It's got encouraging articles, and there is no obligation to find out more information about our ministry. Again, visit our website at songtime.com. This ministry is made possible by people just like yourself. We are 100% supported by our listeners. So if you have been blessed today, why not join with the many voices together for that one message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, with your donation to the Songtime Ministry. To make a donation, you can do so online at our website at songtime.com, as well as by mail. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. Make a donation over the phone. It's 508 362 
800-242-7070. On behalf of our entire Songtime staff and our own Dr. John DeBrine, the founder here at Songtime, who encourages you to grow in grace and not groan in disgrace, from Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller. God bless.